want you to take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 6, please. Romans 6 in your Bible. I'm going to be preaching a sermon today that is entitled Newness of Life. Romans chapter 6 is a familiar passage uh, to us, and as I was thinking on this message, I was trying to think of who would be the most excited to go through this passage of Scripture. So why, do, why would you possibly need this message today? I have had opportunity in the past several weeks to share individuals' testimony of salvation on a 5 o'clock broadcast on WMPC. Uh, We started that just in mid-March when we weren't able to meet together, and I found that uh, a few things that were were in common with some of those testimonies, it was beautiful to see how many people were saved at camp, how many people gave wonderful uh, um, appreciation for like a Sunday school teacher or an Awana worker, Uh, some things that were in common. One thing that was in common with several of those testimonies were individuals that made a decision when they were younger, but they doubted whether they were really saved or not. And I think one of the biggest reasons for why people doubt is because they don't see the sanctification taking place in their life necessarily. So if you are one of those individuals that maybe even has doubted whether you're really saved or not because you haven't seen the sanctification Hopefully, this message will be a blessing for you. Just before I read the first 14 verses of Romans 6, I want to share with you a couple problems that pastors face. Maybe you don't care too much if this is a problem of a pastor, I don't know. But this will help us with our understanding of the passage. Two problems that pastors will face. One problem is persuading unbelievers that they are under the dominion of sin. There's an old expression, before you can get them saved, you've got to get them lost. Convince somebody who's not a follower of Christ that they're under the dominion of sin. And the other problem that so many preachers face is kind of parallel to that, but it's for believers. The other problem that preachers face is persuading believers that they are no longer under the dominion of sin. That's what we're going to read about in Romans chapter 6. Look with me as we start in the first verse. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. 
We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness." For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. It's a powerful passage that we're going to look at today. This is a passage that when I was a young man, I had another mature Christian come to me and we said, let's memorize this together, the first six verses of Romans 6. If you are one who has a difficulty believing that you can have victory over sin, this is a great passage for you. But I need to give some disclaimers before we jump into this because this is not necessarily a passage where Paul is giving us things to do. Instead, this is a passage where he is telling us that we need to understand something about our salvation. There is a famous book, and the main character in that book's name is Henry This book was written by Robert Louis Stevenson. And in the book, Henry is actually an inventor and Henry invents a potion. And this potion is a potion that can turn him into a completely different person. And it's unusual because they're opposites. You see, Henry, who was a doctor, was even-tempered. He was compassionate and kind. But when he took that potion, he turned into a different person. That different person was so different that he had a different name. His name was Edward. And Edward was not compassionate and kind, but instead Edward was a cold-blooded killer. The story revolves around these two characters, opposites, trying to occupy and control one body. The famous story is, anybody guessed it yet? The famous story is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And what's interesting about that story is when Stevenson was asked, where did you get your inspiration for your characters? Do you know what he said? He said, I looked inside myself. And isn't that something? Any follower of Jesus Christ understands the inward struggle that feel like opposites. The Apostle Paul, who gave us this text today that we're studying, he himself has encouraged us with these words. Maybe, you'll, maybe this will resonate with you. The things that I want to do, I don't do them. The things that I know I should do, I'm, or the things I, that I should not do, those are the things that I'm doing. Is that encouraging to anybody else besides me? Holy smokes. Paul understood the battle within. And what we'll see in God's Word today is that the death and resurrection of Christ is the key for salvation, 
But that's not the main focus of today. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are the key for having victory over sin in your life. We always come to the end of the passage and we, or the end of the message and we say, well, what can we do with this? We will have that today, but let me go ahead and just repeat what I said a little bit ago. Really, the text here is not something that we can do that Paul is getting at. What is going on is Paul is giving us something that we are if we are followers of Jesus Christ. He's going to convince these believers of that. All right, all that to take us to Romans chapter 6. And as we look at this, um, we're going to break it down to a simple outline, one word and th- uh, three different points in each of, or uh, one word points, three points. Number one, if you're taking notes, the word no. The word no, K-N-O-W, is the first thing that we see. Look at verse number three there. It teaches us there to know that we have been crucified with Christ. And then in verses four and five, you are to know that you have been resurrected with Christ. And then in verses eight, we find there that we are to know that we are, and don't get confused by this, we are to know that we are both dead and alive at the same time. Okay, this is getting a little bit confusing. Dead and alive at the same time. What we learn from salvation is that the one who was sinless became sin. And the reason why he did that is so that we who are sinners can be made righteous. We're going to define just a couple of terms to help us better understand this passage. And the first uh, term is sin. Because you'll use this expression every once in a while in your life. You might be talking to someone who's having, um, they're being defeated in sin. And sometimes we'll use certain words. Here in our passage, we find the word old man that is there. Sometimes we'll refer to sin as the flesh. I'll call it that. That's my flesh wanting me to do something. That battle against the flesh. Old man, flesh, old nature, old self. No matter what you want to call it, all of us have this battle going on. What Paul wants us to understand is these things, not, not uh, continuously, these things have been crucified at the cross. I'm already aware of this passage that it's going to make some people say, maybe, maybe nod their head by being polite and say, I see what you're saying and I see what the text is saying, but I sure don't feel that way in my life. Sin has been crucified at the cross, and you're saying that is in effect right now for me? We're going to get to that in just a little bit. Let me talk about one more word that we find here in the first part of Romans 6, and that's the word baptism. And understand that this is not talking about water baptism that we do after someone comes to Jesus Christ. This is a, and next to the text here in my Bible, I have the words dry passage, dry scripture written next to it. This is a dry passage. When it's talking about baptism, it's talking about the spiritual union with Christ. It means you have been placed into Christ. And let me just say again that this here, this is not something that was written for the really, really mature believers. What Paul is teaching us here is not for super Christians or even super duper Christians. This applies to all believers. 
Here's an illustration that I, I just this morning thought would help clear this up a little bit. The way you need to think of it is yourself as a citizen. Imagine you're a citizen in a foreign land and there is a king there. And when that king gave the order, you had to obey. You had no choice. You had to obey when the order is given. And then imagine you change countries. Maybe you take a plane or take a boat, go to a different country, and you become a citizen of a new country. But you still have access. You can still see, whether it be through a news broadcast or an alert on your phone, you can still see in that old country every time an order is given. You don't have to obey that order. You don't have to. No longer does that king reign over you. You're a citizen of a new country now. You can say no. You don't have to do that at all. And yet, there might be a tendency for you to want to do those things. Even if you think they're not healthy. Even if you think they might be harmful. There might be a tendency to do that. And yet, you live in a different country. Something different reigns over you. We know that for the believer... Christ reigns. Righteousness reigns. You no longer have to live under the reign of sin. So know that you've been crucified. Know that you've been resurrected. Know that you are both dead to sin, alive to Christ. The second point is the word, is the word reckon. The word reckon. Now for some of you northerners, let me tell you what the word reckon means, okay? If some of you are wondering what part of Tarsus Paul came from, it must have been South Tarsus, right? With this word reckon that we find in Romans 6. We don't use that word very much anymore. In verse number 11, it says, So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so what we are seeing here is that Paul wants us to reckon ourselves. Now, don't think of the word reckon like you may have heard it down south. It does not just mean I think so, all right? It doesn't just mean that I am considering this. Instead, the picture that we find here in Romans 6 is a strong picture, more than just I guess. The Greek word is logizomai, and what it means is to calculate and to come to a conclusion. You are to reckon yourself. You are to calculate this out. Study what God has told us and what the whole, how the Holy Spirit is leading you within and then come to this conclusion. And then I think it's interesting as we read through this passage that the Apostle Paul does not say you are dead to sin and alive to Christ and then give us a list of commands that we're supposed to do. There are other parts in the New Testament that gives us some things that we're supposed to do, aren't there? You can remember those, some of those lists. And yet here in this passage, when he's not telling us what to do but what we are, he doesn't give us a to-do list, but instead he points us somewhere. Paul says, for you to have victory over sin in your life, I'm going to point you back to the cross. The work of Jesus Christ and what he did. And honestly, isn't that a better way? That is a better way for you and I to approach this. And some of you are thinking, well, I kind of like a list. Some of us parents are thinking, I like lists a whole lot. List of rules for my youngins, that's a good thing. They need that. Some of us adults need that list too. Nothing wrong with that. But the point is this. 
There is no amount of willpower. There is no list that you can make for yourself that is going to allow you to have victory over sin better than God's plan to point us back to the work that was accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. When Christ said, it is finished, the price was paid for our sin, and God wants to point us back to that point. Reckon this. Reckon that Jesus has broken the power of sin in your life. And so for you doubters who are being polite so far, everybody's kind of nodding their head, yes, yes, I agree, this is what Paul's saying. Let's get real here. Reckon this. Reckon that when Jesus died and when you became a follower of Christ, that he has forever altered your relationship to sin. It is settled. Your relationship to sin has been changed. In other words, sin in a believer's life has been permanently deprived of its controlling power. You're no longer in this country and have to obey what the leader says here, who reigns over that country. You're now in this country. Now shake your head yes or no to this. Can you still choose to obey what that leader says if you know what he's saying, if you want to? Can you still choose to sin if you want to? Yes, you can. But you don't have to. It does not reign over you. The controlling power of sin has been permanently deprived. Now, uh, clearly God's word is inspired and it's perfect and I cannot improve on it at all. But let me tell you the challenge that comes when we look at this idea that we have victory over sin. The challenge comes back in chapter 5 and verse number 20. You can look there if you want. We focused on this last time in our study in Romans. And in verse 20 of chapter 5, it's, it's a beautiful thought, but I can't help but wonder if anybody had a red flag go up and say, that is so dangerous. We're not really going to say that out loud, are we? 5.20 says, where sin abounded, grace superabounded or grace exceeds that no matter what the sin grace will go past that does anybody know where i'm going with the danger of this anybody who has raised kids or you've been around where you're the authority of someone you know the danger of this so what we're saying is no matter what sin i do it's forgiven it's taken care of no problem still going to heaven some people might look at this And they might see the danger that is in there. And as I just said, though, we need to make sure that we do not do away with God's word where sin abounded, grace superabounded. It's a dangerous statement for some because some people are going to want to do this. Some people are going to want to see 1 John 1, 9, which says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And kind of use that as their get out of jail free card, tuck it in their back pocket, and then walk through their life with that. Is 1 John 1, 9 true? Yes, it is. We can come when we have sinned and confess that to God and God will not hold that to our account. And in fact, Christ died on the cross for those sins so in judgment in the end it won't be held to our account anyway. 
But for us practically, and for you people who are saying, why would Paul say that? Where sin abounded, grace superabounded. We need to understand that there's a principle here. And we need to not use, and I don't want to, I wasn't sure how to approach this. Some people have a life verse. You'll just kind of pick a verse and say, I like that verse. I'm going to memorize that. That'll be my life verse. I don't want anyone, as far as their sanctification goes, your maturing process to goes, I want to encourage people not to use 1 John 1, 9 as your life verse. Not to be walking through life and there's an opportunity for sin and you go, that's right, I got that 1 John 1, 9 card in my back pocket. Let's go for it. It's a dangerous way. to. It's, it's not God's way. In fact, if that's the way you're living life, you, you possibly don't have a good understanding of salvation. And that's why God doesn't give us a list of to-dos and don'ts We don't have this weighing thing. He points us back to the cross of Jesus Christ. So do not allow 1 John 1, 9 to drive you when you approach your sanctification. All right, anyone struggling with the fact that you're not a slave to sin? Here is the, if if we can get real, here's the real question right here. If Paul is saying, and God said, that sin does not have dominion over me, And why is this so hard? Has anybody ever wondered that? Why is this so hard? He obviously hasn't taken us immediately home to heaven if we're still here. So we're going to have this battle within. Why is this so hard? And here is the answer to that question. Even though you no longer live uh, as sin reigning over you, but Christ reigning over you, the reason why it is so hard is because we have been delivered from the dominion of sin But we have not, listen, we have not been delivered from the presence of sin. And so when we get into our applications in just a moment, we'll look at some things that we can specifically do to help with that because we still face the presence of sin. The right question is not, do you sin? It's not the right question. The right question is, are you or do you abide in sin? Over the past several weeks in our household, we broke out some games. We did some games. Uh, We broke out Monopoly. We knew that would eat up some time. We were wanting to eat up some time as a family. I will share with you, we only played one game of Monopoly. Uh, One was enough for us. If you're familiar with the game of Monopoly, of course, you're buying properties and you're collecting rent and you put hotels or houses on those properties when you have a Monopoly, three of them or two. And you make more money. And of course, the person at the end who has all the money, they win. There comes a point in the game of Monopoly where you kind of figure out who's going to win. We started with four of us, and one of the kids got knocked out. And then, so it was three of us. And then another one of the kids got knocked out. And so the Monopoly game now is between mom and dad, and could have been anybody's game. And as we played a little bit longer, I landed on the wrong things. I had to pay out big things. I didn't have the best properties. And so it got to a point where I basically had no opportunity to collect enough income where I could win the game. And of course, Tina owned three-fourths of the board at that point. Now, I can roll the dice. So Tina won the game. Okay. I I need to make sure I make that clear. Uh, I can roll the dice. I can land on community chest and chance every once in a while and get free parking, get a little more cash from that. 
I can skate around for a while. But there comes a point when you're playing, when you are past everything, any chance of possibly winning. And, that pers- and the person who's winning that owns almost everything, they always want to finish it, don't they? It's so miserable for the person who's, I know I'm going to lose. I, 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 you know, I, no, no, roll the dice, let's play. I, I can't win. It's impossible for me to win. You're obviously, no, no, come on, give me your money. Don't let me get your properties. And they want to get everything and you just want to forfeit the game. You need to understand in this battle that we are in, understand this, we are not battling for victory. Instead, we are battling from victory. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot lose. You cannot lose. You're going to win in the end. And you say, then why is this so hard? Because we still have all around us the presence of sin. The last point, and we're not going to talk very long about it, it'll be more of our next time here, is the word yield. If you're taking notes, the word yield. And it's in verses uh, 12 through 23. In 12 and then the first part of 13. Let me go ahead and read it. And that's all we'll say about it today. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. And then there's a divide right there. So first of all, it talks about yielding to unrighteousness. And for the rest of the chapter, it talks about yielding, the right kind of yielding, yielding to God. Okay, what can we do with this? What are we supposed to do with this kind of passage? Before I give you a couple things very practically that you can do, let me just say this. The question that you need to ask yourself from Romans chapter 6, when you want to experience victory in your maturing, when you're battling sin, The right question for you to ask is, who am I presenting myself to? Remember, if you can remember that illustration from earlier, you have been taken from this country to this country. But you still can present yourself to that wicked foreign leader and do what they say to do. And you don't need any part of that. So the first question is, and you might do this, if you know you're going to face a temptation going to go into a situation where you've fallen before or you're having a hard season of life, you might just stop and pray and say, God, I want to today present myself to Christ. In every decision, every word, allow me to present myself to Christ. Two things specifically. Number one, maintain proximity. Maintain proximity from temptation. Keep your distance. As I said earlier, God allows us to put barriers up for our protection. It's kind of an old wording, but I love how Martin Luther put this, uh, in this uh, to, to, to address this idea regarding keeping away from temptation. Martin Luther said this. He said, you can't stop birds from flying overhead, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair, Right? So we cannot stop the temptation from coming and the sin all around us, but we can keep away from it and make sure it's not uh, having anything that would, would rest on our lives. Number two, become skilled with your weapon. The same weapon that Jesus Christ used when he was tempted is what you and I need to use, and that is the Word of God. This book will keep you from sin. Or, sin will keep you 
from this book. Or how, how, the way David put it, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might, what? Not sin against thee. Don't buy the lie that you're not able to get victory over the sin. It no longer has power over you. Okay, last story, and then we'll, be, we'll sing a closing song. How many of you have heard of Stockholm Syndrome? Anybody here heard of Stockholm Syndrome? I see a few hands going up. Uh, many folks have heard that phrase before, but they're not familiar with where that we get that phrase from. Back in 1973, in Stockholm, Sweden, there was a bank robbery. And as the robbers went in to rob the bank, they took some of the employees of the bank hostage, and they kept them in the vault, and they were hostage for five days. And something happened during that five days. These people who were robbing the bank, who took them captive, those individuals, they became seen as, seen in a different light from those who were being held captive. You see, the victims became emotionally attached to their captors. To the point when the police tried at one point to intervene that some of the captors or some of the victims decided to stay with those that were holding them captive. To the point that even after the whole ordeal was over, some of them at the trial would stand up for those who terrorized them because they had developed an emotional attachment. I need us to understand that there is such a pull for us, whether you want to use the word flesh, old nature, old man, old self, there is a pull there. Do not fall for the lie that anything that is offered in this country over here is better than what God has given. The Christian life is more than just a declaration. The Christian life, when you decided to follow Jesus, is a transformation. You have a choice who to yield to. And so when given that choice, don't look to a to-do list. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ. And remember that those sins that maybe you're tempted to commit, that you're going to do, remember the nail-pierced hands, the nail-pierced feet, the pierced side, the crown of thorns. And thank God for His love. And say, today I will yield myself to Christ. Let's pray. Our loving Father, as we look to you, we come to you knowing that Jesus Christ did a sufficient work for our sins on the cross. We thank you that we are forgiven, and we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the wonderful blessing it is that we don't have to pay for those sins ourselves. But would you allow us, in the time you've given us in this present world, to spend this time in a sweet and beautiful and wonderful way, constantly knowing who reigns over us, righteousness. Thank you that we don't have to give in to sin. Thank you that it gets easier as we, as we go along in life. And we would ask, God, that you would allow us to always remember the blood of your Son because it's given us victory in eternal life and victory over sin. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I just want to say a word of prayer. As we continue here and as we get ready to sing a song, if there's anyone here who's not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, you've never had that turning point where you've given your life to Christ, you can do that even on this day. Christ died for sinners. We are all sinners. His sacrifice, what he did was sufficient, and all you have to do is call out to him for salvation. And he promises 
to forgive those who will turn to him. You can do that while you're sitting in your seat while we walk out of this place. Heavenly Father, I would pray for any who are unsure of this, any who are doubting their salvation, would you allow us to